We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles there, we're continuing through our study in the book of Ephesians. And uh, the way we do it here is we go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's, uh, that's how we uh, study the Lord's Word. Um, we're, uh, we're here in Ephesians. We're going to be here for a few more weeks. And uh, then we're going to be moving on to Malachi uh, after this. And uh, after we finish with the book of Malachi, we'll be moving into 1 Samuel. Um, and uh, that will pretty much take care of 2015 right there. So uh, there you go. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going uh, to be in verse 21 today, and let me start this way. Let me, let me just mark a very significant uh, um, time for you right here and now. Um, Two weeks from today will be our seven-year anniversary. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Uh, that's important, uh, but let me talk to something uh, a little bit more holy, if I can be irreverent for a minute. Uh, exactly 130 days from now, man, what is it? Oh, gosh. Come on. Turn in your man card at the door. It's football season. 130 days from today. Football season opens up. I think the Packers are playing uh, the uh, Seattle Seahawks for the opening uh, game there. And um, anyway, football fans, can I see your hands? Yes? Okay, so you can celebrate with me, right? That's a, that's a cause for celebration. It's been said, football's a game played by 22 men in desperate need of a vacation, uh, watched by millions of people in desperate need of some exercise, right? <laughs> And, and if you ever doubted that, go to a Super Bowl party, right? You go to a Super Bowl party and there's nachos and there's pizza and there's brats on the barbecue maybe and there's chili and there's a, a bunch of men in there that are yelling at the TV, you know, and, and they're screaming at a guy. Uh, and these are men, by the way, who typically don't exercise, you know, that if you see them running, you know there's a fire or a dog, right? That's, that's typically the deal. And these guys yet are there sitting yelling at the television set at the guy who's not running fast enough. You know, that's, that's typically, uh, you know, the idea of football. We sit around uh, and get fat on the couch and watch the guys who are killing themselves and working hard. Now, I say that by way of introduction to where we're at here in Ephesians chapter 5 because, you know, when Paul established the church in Ephesus, he went there and he spent a long time there. It was on his third missionary journey. He, 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 Paul's style was he'd go in, he'd start a church, he'd stay there for a while, raise up elders, and then he'd move on to go start another church. And he stayed in Ephesus longer than he normally stayed at places. He actually stayed there for two whole years. They rented out a school where they met. They're just like us, you know, and they rented out a school called the School of Tyrannus, and they, they met there for two whole years, and they would meet every single day. Lots of instruction in the Word of God, training up these disciples. And, uh, and, and the idea, though, is following Christ, it's, it's more than academic, it's got to be athletic, right? And so a couple of years later, actually about 10 years later, when Paul has the occasion to write back uh, to the Ephesian church, this, this epistle that we now go through, the, the book of Ephesians, 10 years removed from, a, from strong academic study, Basically, what Paul does is he encourages them in the wealth that they have in Christ, and then he goes on to talk about the walk that they should have in Christ. It's a reminder, it's a refresher, first half of the book. Hey, listen, all the stuff academically that we've learned about Jesus Christ, he's, he's awesome, and we have this abundant wealth in Christ, but man, if it never translates to a walk, there's a problem. And so the whole second half of the book, 
Paul's talking about our walk in Christ, how we put feet on our faith. That's, that's the, the big idea of this book. Now, what we've been focusing on, now that we're in the second half of, of Ephesians, focusing on our walk in Christ, well, we've been focusing on four areas of our walk. We're to walk in love, we're to walk in light, Paul says we're to walk in wisdom, and we are to walk in submission. Now, a week before last, we, we started, we crossed the threshold, no pun intended, of talking about uh, submission, and we addressed the women, uh, and you ladies, you, you were great sports, you took it really well. So we, we, we talked about submission, and I told you, now make sure that your husbands don't punk out in a couple of weeks after Easter, when we come back together, we're going to put the men in the barrel, and we're going to talk about the, the man's role uh, in, in the marriage and his role of submission to the Lord. And here you are, guys, right? Ladies, how, how happy are you for today's message, right? Okay. Guys, how happy are you? Yeah, that's right. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, you're going to... I'll go a, a little bit gently, maybe. Um, at any rate, we're, uh, we're, we're looking at this idea of walking in submission. We pick it up in verse 21. Here's what Paul says. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit to your own husbands... As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, the idea here is that submission all leads back to God. That's the big idea. As Jesus submits to the Father, so too husbands are to submit to Jesus by loving our wives as Christ loved the church. And wives then are to submit to their husbands just as the church, the bride of Christ, submits to Jesus Christ. Now, again, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, this word submit, it's a military word and it literally means to be under in rank. The idea of submission isn't that, you know, the husband is better than the wife or smarter than the wife or more talented than the wife. It simply means that there is a God-appointed order. And so with this God-appointed order, we are called to submit to those who've been placed in authority over us. As a matter of fact, that's what Romans 13 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. These are important uh, principles to remember, that the authorities that exist in our life are appointed by God, because the authorities that exist in our lives aren't always, well, we can't always appreciate them, can we? They're not always the, the, the best reflection of the one who gave them authority. Nevertheless, the authority that they wield, the authority that they hold is from God. That's what Romans 13.1 tells us. So men, this includes your position of authority as the husband uh, in marriage. Now, I recognize I, I, about 90% of you are married. Uh, let me see a show of hands. Who here is married? Show of hands? Okay, right? So about 90% of y'all are married. Some of you aren't. Um, some of you uh, are, 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 have marriage in your future. Some of you are, are, are widowed or, 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 or what have you, and you're like, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, uh, and, you know, this is, it's, it's a season that's passed for me. Um, and, and so 
the idea here is for most of you, when I'm talking about the issues of you know, being a husband who's going to lovingly lead his wife and submit to the Lord in that way, being a wife who's going to submit to her husband, you know, pretty much this message preaches. It's going you know, to find its bullseye, and, and, and the message will preach all day. But there's some of you that are here, and maybe you're going, well, what, what's, what's this got to do with me? Well, this is an area where, again, we can take the principles of submission, we can apply them to, to, to many different areas, but it's also an area where we need to be mindful of this. For those of you younger, not yet married, you need to have a good, solid biblical understanding of what this is all about so that you go into marriage prepared. Uh, those of you that are older, you have the opportunity to counsel those that are younger. And so, again, it behooves us to have a, a solid biblical understanding of what the Bible has to say uh, about uh, this area of submission. So... Um, men, your position of authority as, as a husband, this has been given to you by God. And throughout the New Testament, Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 Peter 3, and here in Ephesians chapter 5, the scriptures over and over again, they reinforce the authority of the husband in marriage. And the authority of the husband is most clearly articulated right here in verse 23, where we read, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now that position of head is very important. Malachi chapter 2 and Proverbs chapter 2 say that we assume the position by covenant agreement. Um, this is super important. The, the, the word covenant, it's best described in the Old Testament by the Hebrew word hesed. And the Hebrew word hesed can be translated many different ways. It can be translated loving kindness. It can be translated mercy, steadfast love, or loyal devotion, or loyal love. These are all ways that this Hebrew word hesed uh, is, is translated. Um, and uh, listen to the way the, the Jesus Storybook Bible translates it. This is for kids, and it puts it right in the, a great picture. We're talking about this idea of, of uh, covenant, hesed, uh, the way that you lovingly lead. Uh, it, it, Jesus Storybook Bible translates it, a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever kind of love. Now, that's covenant love. That's what covenant love looks like. It's a love that says, I'll never leave you. It's a love that says, I'll never forsake you. And, and we see this, this picture of covenant love show up right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 2 when God creates Eve and brings her to the man and he brings them together. And in Genesis 2.24, God says, uh, for the, uh, he says, for this reason man shall leave his father and mother and he'll be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, in marriage counseling or in pre-marriage counseling, I will often illustrate this um, with uh, the metaphorical picture of a boat. And, and I'll do it in abbreviated form uh, for time's sake today. But basically, when you're single, you're dating, uh, you know, you're basically, you're not in the boat of marriage, you're on the dock of life. And the dock of life, hey, man, it's, it's a party. Everybody's welcome, and, you, you know, your family's there, your friends are there, everybody's there. You all hang out on the dock of life, and you meet one another on the dock of life, and you fall in love on the dock of life, and you decide, hey, you know, let's, let's get married. I used to have a secretary when I would have uh, the couples come in for pre-marriage counseling. She'd say, yeah, go ahead and get married. Why should you be happy? You know, um, joke. Going on 30 years. I'm very happy, okay? So... Um, but, you know, you're on the dock of life. You decide to get married. And so, you know, there you go. You're walking down the dock of life. You get to the end of the dock, 
and then uh, there's a boat. And this is the boat of marriage. Now, I don't know what boat you envision. My son used to little have this little boat. It was a, a Sabbath, uh, you know, little sailboat. Brenda and I would get in this thing and sail it in the lake behind our house, and uh, the, the side rails of a boat, it's called freeboard, whatever amount of the, bo- the boat, the side rails are sticking out of the water, and we'd have about two inches of freeboard that would stick out of the water. I think if we got in it today, we'd be in a lot of trouble, baby, but uh, about two inches, and, and you know, don't you know, the slightest wind, the slightest ripple, you got water coming in the boat, you know, and, and you can... You can sink that thing real easy. Well, that's the boat I envision for marriage, because you get in the boat of, of, of marriage, and, and well, you know, a lot of things are required. You got to actually get in the boat. You, 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 you know, some people, they like the idea of marriage, but they got one foot in, one foot out, you know? No, you got to get in. You got to commit to this thing. You got to untie from the dock. You got to set off. It's like we're no longer, you know, part of, you know, the dock community, we're, we're part of our own now little boat community here. We can come back and visit, but, but we're not tied to the dock anymore. We're, you know, it's you and me, baby. We're, on, we're in this together kind of thing. And so you get in the boat and you bring these provisions to, to, to sustain in the boat, right? And, and so, you know, and, and the provisions that you have, I always tell couples in premarriage counseling, it's like, you know, think of it this way. It's a metaphor, but think like, you know, the husband's got the water and the wife's got the food. And you can't survive without both. And so what happens is, is that we, again, metaphorically speaking, in the marriage relationship, we have to commit to the marriage, and I have to give to you, and you have to give to me, and we have to both contribute to this thing in order for us not to, to, to starve to death, right? And so, you know, husband's got to wash his wife with the water of the word of God. He's got the, he's got the water and he's got to, you know, provide for her and all. So you're there in the boat and you're committed and you go out. Well, what happens is inevitably the boat sounds great and then the storm hits. The waves hits, the storms hit. You're thinking, I, I can't stand it in this boat. I can't stand you in this boat. The basic problem is you're still around. I don't want to, the boat would be all right if it was just me, it doesn't work that way. And so, you know, there's all kinds of things. You're thinking, I think I'd like to rather be in that boat over there. You know, you're thinking, uh, I just want to get back to the dock. At the, why did I ever leave the dock? I just want to go back there kind of thing. Or maybe, you know, the idea is I'll swim at this point. I don't care. I don't want to be in the boat. Anywhere's better than here kind of thing. So what happens when people get into that kind of position is they very rarely do they jump ship immediately. Usually what happens is they're, they're cooking on this, kind of all of these different thoughts that I just threw out there. And so what happens is they sit up on the rail of the boat, and they've got one foot in and one foot out. And their attitude is, I don't like being in the boat, but I don't like the alternative either, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but right now I think I'll just sit up here on the rail, and this is where I'm going to be. And so the other person, now, who knows who goes first? Maybe it's the gal, maybe it's the guy, whatever. Somebody's up on the rail. The other person doesn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out, well, wait a minute, we used to be here in the boat together, we used to be, you know, bailing together, we used to be rowing together, whatever it is, now they're sitting there up on that rail, and so what do they do? Well, they get up on the rail, because their attitude is, well, I'm not going to be the one doing all the work, and if they jump ship, I'm not going to be left here adrift, you know, in this thing myself, so they're on the rail. So where can the boat go with the two occupants sitting on the rail? 
It's going nowhere. It's just going to be taken by the, the current and the, the storms and the wind and the wave. It's just going to blow that thing wherever it's going to go. And, and, and there's nothing meaningful that's going to happen. And there are people that I have in my office in counseling that have been in marriages like this for decades. It gets pretty tiring sitting on the rail. Maybe today you're on the rail. And I would strongly encourage you, listen, pay attention, because the issue here is that that's not the way that God had intended it. That is not the way he's intended it. He's intended that this covenant love that exists in marriage should be a love that says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And see, being up on that, on that rail, it, it illustrates I might leave you and I might forsake you. And so what, what, what God does in every single covenant is he appoints a head to oversee the covenant. Every covenant God has, he appoints a head to oversee the covenant. And, and, and the head's job is to ensure that the covenant terms are kept and that the members in the covenant are cared for. Men, within the marriage, you're the head. That's your job. Now, this doesn't mean, as we talked about last week, that you're better than the wife, that the man is better than the wife. Here's what it means. It means that God holds the man and the woman each responsible for their sin individually, but for you men, listen, in the marriage relationship, he puts an additional burden on you for the well-being of your wife and the well-being of your family. You're the head. And so the, the issue is that the additional burden is placed on you. Now, if you watch sports, you totally get this. What happens when the team is tanking? Who gets fired? Head coach, right? The head gets fired. And, and so that's the way this thing works. John Maxwell talks about this in his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. You know, he, he talks about the law of the lid, and he basically says that there's a leadership lid, and everybody has a varying degree of leadership capability. Some people are a 2 on a 1 to 10 scale. Some people are a 10 on a 1 to 10 scale. And he basically, he uses this illustration to kind of prove the point of somebody who's got a low leadership lid. You know, he had a, a friend who would buy businesses that were failing, and the friend told him, him, you know, there's, there's a few things that we always do when a business is failing. He said, one of the things we do is we always fire the leader. And, and Maxwell was surprised. He says, well, wait a minute. What, what if the guy's a good leader? Like, if, if he was a good leader, his business wouldn't be failing. They always can the leader. They buy the business, and they gut it, and the first person to go is the leader because his lid was low, and he ran that thing into the ground, and they're coming in to save it. And so, well, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, what you've got here, you know, God creates the marriage institution in Genesis chapter 2, brings, you know, the man and the woman together. And, uh, and now trouble enters the picture in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I'll just jump in and start reading. Now, the, the serpent, Genesis 3 verse 1, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired desirable to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate she also gave to her husband with her men circle that in your bible 
She gave the fruit to her husband with her, verse 6 right there, and he ate. Now, here's the deal. There's an old Puritan proverb that says this, when Adam was away, Eve fell astray. Now, that's not true. We just read in verse 6, verse six Adam wasn't away. Where was he? He was right there with Eve, right? See, they're, they're, guys, sometimes they, they, they only understand sin in terms of commission. You know, I didn't steal, I didn't kill, I didn't commit something that was sinful against God. But sin isn't just commission, it also involves omission, something you omit, right? And, and so that was Adam's sin here. See, what happened, he didn't stand up, he didn't speak up, he didn't intervene, he failed to lead. Maybe you've been watching the news. You see the, the ferry in, uh, in South Korea that, that sank recently. What happened there? Well, they don't know, and they're starting to investigate, but one of the things that came out early on was that the captain wasn't on the bridge when the thing went down. He had, he had one of, his, one of his, his first mate or one of, one of the, the, the mates on, the board, uh, on board the ship. He had them at the helm, and, uh, and the guy had only navigated this you know, section maybe a few times, and it's notoriously you know, rocky and, and dangerous there. There's, there's, there's treacherous channels at the point uh, where they went through, and, and what happened was the captain failed to lead. Listen, question for you. One uh, man I want you to take a walk with, are you, omit, are, are you omitting anything in your marriage? Sin of omission. Is there, is there some area in your marriage that you're not leading, that you're, that you're leaving out? See, here's the deal. Some of us are guilty of passively letting our wives fend for themselves. Now, true confession time. I'm going to be brutally vulnerable with you here, all right? For me, one of the things that I, that I enjoy, and sometimes, quite frankly, I'll take for granted, is, is my wife. The fact of the matter is we've been married almost 30 years. Uh, June, next June will be 30 years for us. And, uh, and God gave me, a, you know, he gave me a keeper. She's a godly woman. And, and we enjoy um, the great opportunity to, to do a lot of teaching and, and, and all. And, you know, Brenda's teaching at the Bible college and, and so on. And so what happens sometimes is that I will take for granted her strong relationship with the Lord. And so what will happen is maybe sometimes I'll get to the place where I think, well, she's in the Word. Good grief. She's, she's, you know, she's teaching several classes. She's teaching full retreats for other churches, you know, and all. She's in the Word every day. She's in the Word. She's good. She's praying. She's good. I'm in the Word. I'm praying. I'm good. And what will happen is that I'll neglect sometimes the, the, the needfulness that I have to wash my wife in the water of the Word, to, to regularly pray together with my wife. Now, here's the thing. Why do I do that? Well, because I'm taking for granted. She's good. Gee whiz, she's teaching full retreats for crying out loud. We've been married 30 years. We have a strong marriage. And what will happen is sometimes all coasts, and the Lord keeps me on a short leash. And, and he's given me a, a wife who is not a potted plant in the relationship, and she'll say, hey, I'm over here. We need to pray together. You know, and so there's this needfulness that, that I can't fall into this, this, this sin of omission. What is it really? It's laziness. That's what it is. 
I want to give my energies to other things. And I want to be able to coast sometimes where, where my relationship is, is concerned and the Lord has made it abundantly clear, hey, that, that won't stand. That's not good enough. Because you have a responsibility, Ted, to shepherd your wife, not just to shepherd your congregation. See, so, so for us, we have to understand, man, am I, am I omitting anything in my marriage? Sometimes it's uh, I'm omitting it because I'm as far away from God as I can be. Sometimes it's, I'm omitting it because I'm really close to the Lord, but you know what, I'm just sort of taking this one section for granted. I don't know, what is it for you? I'm just throwing it out there. There are things where we omit things in in our marriage. Now, in the garden, what happened when when, when Adam omitted his responsibility, he shucked his respose there, that that the, the result was sin and separation, not just from one another, but also with God. And and can I say, that describes some of the marriages here. You know, as I'm describing the marriage relationship and the one foot in and the one foot out, and some of you go, that's exactly where I'm at right now. And the issue is, you look in in Genesis chapter 3, and and it's just very clear what transpires there. That, that, you know, she took and she ate. Adam's right there, totally not intervening like he should be. Verse 7, then the eyes of, of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and then they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and then they, they heard, verse 8, the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, this is something that previous would have brought joy to their hearts. Now, they run and hide. It says, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, watch this. This is telling, verse 8, who's God go looking for? Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, where are you? Notice he didn't call Eve. He calls Adam. Law of the lid. I'm going, you know, this thing, this thing is not going well. I'm not calling Eve in here. She was deceived, certainly. Adam, where are you? And God might say the same thing to, to, to you men today, this morning. Where are you, man? What's going on? And if your marriage is, you know, is, is going, you know, circle in the drain kind of deal, or if things aren't good between you and the missus, you know, you might go, well, you know, it's that woman you gave me, Lord, which is what Adam says to God. It's that woman you gave me. God's like, now, where are you at, man? Because those might all be well. Those might be well and true. I mean, you know, you use the sports analogy. Team's not doing well, you fire the head coach. Okay, but there might be fundamental problems with the players. I mean, you look at the Lakers. You're like, okay, Kobe Bryant, he had his day, great, but Elvis has left the building, man. The guy's an old man, and, you know, now he's, he's interfering with the salary cap issue, and, and so now you can't bring in new talent. Some of you guys are going to stone me for that. But, 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 but here's the deal. You know, the glory days are over. It's time to start thinking about rebuilding, for crying out loud. And so there is fundamental issues with the players, but, but does the head coach deserve to get fired? Yeah, absolutely, right now, today. Let's call him in. Let's get this thing taken care of, for crying out loud. Now, all right. So God calls the head coach in. He calls, well, Adam, where are you? And maybe God's doing that with you today. Maybe God would say, hey, look, we got, a, we got, a, we got business here to take care of. And man, I'm calling you. And guys, I don't have to drive it home. You know. Things aren't well. You know exactly who God wants to talk to. He wants to talk to you. Um, doesn't mean there's not issues on the team. Doesn't mean that he's got to deal with, with some other folks in, on the team, you know. 
Certainly he does. But God wants to call you. He wants to talk to you. So hold that thought. Go back with me to Ephesians 5. Here again, the word of the Lord. 525, Ben, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Here's the idea. Whereas the wife submits to God by helping and respecting her husband, men, God has called you to submit to God by loving your wife in action. Loving your wife in action. Now, Paul, as we continue, he's going to begin to articulate what that looks like practically, okay? So he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church um, and gave himself for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, first rule of biblical headship. Guys, write this down. Lead your wife to Jesus. Lead your wife to Jesus. In other words, men, you are to be the spiritual leader in your home. Now, there's a problem with that. Because for many, well, according to one recent study, it says this. It says five out of six men in the United States call themselves Christians, but only one in six goes to church. Uh, This same study said in a typical church, women outnumber men nearly two to one. Um, Again, same study, 25% of those who who, um, are married, women, They'll attend, uh, 25% of those, the the two-to-one women attending the church, 25% of those are married women who attend without their husbands. And it's estimated that 70% of boys will abandon the church in their teens. Now, all of this uh, brings consequence. And, And here's the consequence. Churches are statistically more feminine with the women leading and the men playing a supporting role within the church, God never intended that to be that way. But that's what the majority of churches are like uh, in America. And then what happens is this often carries over into the house where the woman leads, and so it's not uncommon for the woman to be the one saying, hey, let's go to church. Hey, let's pray together. Hey, let's read our Bibles together. Hey, let's go to growth group together. Typically, it's the woman who's driving that. It's not the men. And again, that's not the way the Lord designed it to be. It's to be the men who are supposed to be leading. Now, this is also compounded by the fact that women typically are more sensitive and responsive to the things of the Spirit than men are. You know, men typically, they don't have a clue, they, they can't buy a vowel, they don't know what's going on, and the woman has got her finger on the pulse of what's going on spiritually. That's, that, you know, all of this adds together to exacerbate the problem. And, and it's also compounded by the curse. The curse, the sinful curse against men and women is this, that, or of men and women, is that, well, the woman wants to be in control, She wants her husband to be large and in charge, but she wants to tell him how to do it uh, to shorthand the woman's curse. The man on the other end, hey, ain't nothing coming easy. He's got to work hard. The ground's going to produce thorns and thistles. You're going to, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to be working. And so what happens, that all combines together to where, you know, you come home and, and all you want is to catch a break and just to have everybody leave you alone and your wife wants to be in charge. And so the guy goes, one less thing. Cool. Okay, you be in charge. 
I don't care. And so all of this compounds together to result in men withdrawing and letting their wives lead. Now, this, for many years, was my testimony. For many years, in, in our early Christian relationship, or for, for, many, for many months, anyway, in our early Christian relationship, it was such that Brenda was the spiritual leader in our home. And she wanted me to be the leader, but, but and, and, and actually, I wanted to be the leader, but she was further along than I was. And so what would happen is we would, we would have a contention where I would try to lead, but she was leading better than me, and so then I would just give up and go, well, whatever. And, and so then the situation would just sort of stagnate there. Now, I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of smiles, and I'm seeing a lot of elbows as I'm saying that, okay? And so I know that this is preaching, okay? So here's, here's what we discovered, and I just share it for you. What Brenda and I discovered, Brenda illustrates it this way when she talks to the gal. She says, you know, envision a chair, and, and that chair is the one, you know, a pyramid with a chair on top. And she said, that chair, I was sitting in that chair. And I wanted him to come up and take that seat in that position of authority, in that position of leadership, but I wouldn't get out of the chair. And so what she realized was, I need to get out of the chair and, and leave that vacated so that he can come up and lead as God has called him to lead. Now, in the beginning, was I going to lead as well as she led spiritually because she was further along than I was? Was that going to happen? No, it wasn't going to happen, but she recognized wisely, I need to get out of the way and I need to let him lead. And so really super important, guys, simple fix. If you're in that position, if you're in that situation, my encouragement to you ladies is to, is to, to lovingly step out of the way, vacate that position, let your husband lead, and you assume the, the biblical role that God's given you of, of helping him, of managing up, of, you know, hey, honey, um, do, you wanted to go to a growth group? Uh, there's, there's a couple. What day of the week you want to go? You know, what, hey, there's a, there's a couple of here, things here. Which one would you like, you know, to go to? Kind of, you know, help him along. And, and so ultimately what happens is if you, if you do that and if you take the initiative to, to be able to do that, then there will be a maturing in that thing. One more thing I would say about this. Now, encountering men oftentimes, um, what I experience is that there's a, there's a trepidation because, hey, I'm not... I'm not equipped for this, I'm not ready for this, whatever the case may be. And I would simply say this, that the key to this, for you uh, husbands to, to, to love your wife and to, uh, and to wash her with the water of, of the word of God and to, to step up and lead in that way, if you look back at verse 18, this is the key. Because Paul says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the key to you being successful to exercise headship in a godly, biblical way. It's for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said uh, in Luke chapter 11 that, that you know, if, you know, you want, he said, uh, if, a, if a son asks his father for, for a loaf of bread, is he, is he going to give him a, a stone or is he going to give him a scorpion? No. And he says, so if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven, how much does he want to give the Spirit to those who ask him? And so the issue here is that 
Jesus is saying, just ask. Just ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You will be equipped with everything that you need with the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And so if you're in a situation where, hey, my wife's been the spiritual leader, I'm not, I'd simply say, ladies, just lovingly step out of the way. Men, ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And then just, just obediently, just take some simple steps. Okay, you know what? We need to pray together. We need to go to church together. Hey, you know, we need to, we need to get plugged into a growth group together. And just start lovingly, but firmly, take the lead. Now, you know, again, it, there'll be some adjustment. There'll be some temptation for, you know, for the wife to, you know, to jockey around and to, hey, it's not happening as well. It's kind of like, you know, the issue with delegation. If you're going to raise yourself up in a, in a leadership role and you're doing something and you think, well, I'm never going to be able to come above and do this if I don't delegate some of what I'm doing to other people. Don't you know that initially when you delegate to other people, the, things don't necessarily go as well as they were doing it when you were doing it? But you're never going to be, you know, get to where you need to be if you just continue to say, well, they can't do it as well as me, so I need to keep doing it. Same principle applies in this situation of men leading and being the head. And this is a big problem in marriages. Big problem. By the way, this is why, because there's this tendency for women to be more spiritual than men, this is why we as a church are so male-focused, that our services are are structured very male-oriented that we place such a, a, an emphasis on men being the leaders in the church. It's not because I'm chauvinistic, because I'm not. You know, I married a, a, a you know, incredibly talented and, and, and gifted woman, and, and she's, she's super smart, and I listen to her often. And, and, you know, I have the highest regard for very strong women. You know, my, my mom, a critical care nurse, you know, who, who you know, had her master's and, and very, you know, strong German woman. I, I think and respect that, you know, wise woman, I, and, and I, I think that, you know, God has, has opened up every position for them within the church except for one. And, and within the church in terms of church government, and that's the position of pastor pastor and elder. Every other position, biblically, is open for, for women to step into, and so they're strong leaders, and they're encouraged to be strong leaders. We see example in the Bible of strong women leaders throughout. And so, so the issue here, though, is, hey, we want to have a church where we, we're encouraging the men to step up, we're encouraging the men to lead, we're encouraging men to be the head of their home and to be the head of their wife as Christ is the head of the church because it's biblical, because it's the way that the Lord designs it. And so this is an issue of, of how you can go about doing that. Now, Paul continues, verse 28. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, again, if you're taking notes, the next rule of biblical headship, guys, write it down, is that you're to love your wife as your own body. Love your wife as your own body. The idea, excuse me, the idea here is that you know 
yourself, right? And, and you know what your likes and your dislikes are. And you know how to, you know, how to take care of yourself. You're well acquainted with, you know, I like burritos. I don't like, you know, whatever it is, uh, carrots. I, I like, you know, Cheetos. I, I don't like, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you are well aware. And the idea here is that you need to be able to be so in tune with your wife that you know her likes and her dislikes as well. It goes much deeper than that. As a matter of fact, when Paul says... Um, Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. See, this is the idea. If you look there, um, again, nourishes, cherishes it, you know. The, the word cherishes, if you want to circle it, it, it means literally keep warm. It means keep warm. And, and here's the idea. It's the picture of a bird that's sitting on its eggs in the nest, That's the picture of what cherishes uh, is. Now, here's the big idea. The big idea in that, in you nourishing and cherishing your wife, the big idea is that you're attentive to your wife. Can I simply tell you right now, listen to me. There, There are women here that will, that's that right there, they're like, can you please hear that? Can you please hear that? Because what, what it is is that they have this within them. It's then they're not, you're not being attentive to them. When, when I will, and I'll touch on this in a minute if I have time, but when I will have people in marriage counseling and, and they'll, they'll be in and we'll, we'll be communicating, and I practice being attentive to what the person's saying. And I'll repeat back what the person says and I'll use my own words to say what they have said so that they know I've taken it in, I've heard it, I've processed it, and now I've placed it in my own words. And women will burst into tears when I do that in counseling. And the reason is, is because they have been neglected for so long. And, and they're like, for the first time, I feel like I've been hurt. Men, what you need to understand is that you need to be attentive to your wives. I have in my backyard, several bird's nests. We've got one particular bird, it's called a black Phoebe, and they make their nests, and I've got a couple of black Phoebe nests in, in our backyard, and so I've got object lessons there, and what I've noticed, these, these black Phoebes, they'll come in, and it's, it's just, it's the female bird, it's the male bird, and it is a full court press, man, for them to tend and to, and be attentive to that nest and to the eggs in that nest, and it's constant work where they're, where they're, they're, cherishing the eggs in that nest. They're keeping them warm. And it's, and it's a constant attention of, of both the male and the female bird to make sure that those, that those eggs are, are nourished and that, they're, and that they're cherished. It's the exact same thing in the, in the marriage relationship. It takes a lot of work. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to finish up here in 1 Peter chapter 3. So please turn over there and park there. We'll pick it up in verse 7. Here's what Peter says. He says, Husbands likewise dwell with them, speaking of the wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, notice first of all there that he says, dwell with them with understanding. 
Now, this speaks of a unity and a oneness. Um, the idea is that, that you're to be, you know, companions, not roommates, okay? Now, some of you guys, you, you, you understand, before you were married, you had a roommate, right? And, um, you know, some had good roommates, some had bad roommates, you know? You have the same address, you have the same mailbox, you have the same refrigerator, you have the same bathroom, maybe even hang out together, but mostly you each did your own thing, Right? And, and, and so, you know, what does that mean? Well, as roommates, you had your own checkbook, your own bills, your own car, your own friends, your own schedule. Dwelling with a the, with the wife should look different than that. Some of you, it doesn't. You have separate checkbooks. You know, you have separate schedules. You're more like roommates than you are husband and wife. Dwelling with your wife is supposed to be different. It means that you're to share your entire life. It means that you're to invest in the relationship. It means that you're to give it priority. It's just where you talk about your hopes and you talk about your dreams. Now, will you notice that Peter says that we're to do that with understanding? We're to, to dwell with them with understanding. That word understanding, it's the Greek word gnosko, and it speaks of an intimate knowledge. It basically means that you get her. Means that you understand her. When I have a couple come into marriage counseling and the wife says, He doesn't get me, that's a serious problem. And so you need to get her, you need to understand her. That word uh, understanding, it literally means seeking to know, an inquiry, an investigation. Let me say that again seeking to know your wife, an inquiry of your wife, an investigation of your wife. Now you do that with your hobbies. Right? You do that with the car purchase. It's like, you know, this is the specs and this is who designed it. And you do that with your sports teams. You know, these are the stats and I'm going to put my my fantasy football league team together and this guy and that guy. And you invest, you investigate that, right? Some of you guys are like, you're not good. (laughs) Come on, you're giving my wife too much information right now. Here's the deal. Seeking to know an inquiry and investigation. Your wife is sitting next to you saying, hallelujah. You need to be able to become a student of your wife in the sense that, hey, what are her fears? What are her hopes? What are her failures? What are the areas where she's weak, where I need to strengthen her? What are the areas that she's vulnerable, that she doesn't see, that I need to be watching out for, that I need to be exhorting her in and encouraging her? This is the idea here, that you, that you investigate and study your wife and you really get to know her. Now, I want you to notice also, Peter says in verse 7, that we're to give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Give honor to the wife as a weaker vessel. Now, this means a lot of different things. First of all, I'll just simply say this. Notice that she's weaker. What does that imply? That somebody's weak. Who is that? Men, that's you. You're weak. Your wife is weaker. That's the implication here. And, and you need to give honor to her as the weaker vessel. Now, that means a whole host of things. As I glance at the clock, I'm, I'm going to just rattle through these. You know, this, this is just ideas for you, okay? But here's the idea. It means that you're going to give honor to her verbally and emotionally and financially. It means you're going to give honor to her, you know, practically. And so what that, what that means is, you know, verbally, you're going, to speak, you're going to speak softly to her. You're going to speak words of encouragement to her. You, you know, you're not going to call her names. You're not going to yell at her. That goes back to that communication issue. 
It's a matter of, you know, do you know why people yell in conflict? Ultimately, it's because they don't feel heard. You notice somebody who speaks a foreign language when, when they, you know, you'll go to a foreign country and, and what will happen is you'll start speaking louder like, oh, that's going to solve everything. They can't understand me, so I'll just talk louder. You watch it. It's a very curious thing. People trying to communicate, they instantaneously start speaking louder. This is in fights when yelling, this is because I don't feel heard. I don't feel like he really hears me. I don't feel like she really is, is getting this. And so we yell. And so, again, it's, no, what we need to do, giving honor to them, it's a matter of, hey, I got two ears and one mouth, so I ought to listen twice as much as I speak. I'd actually listen to what she says. I think it's a really good practice just simply to say, okay, I'm not going to, a lot of times we listen just figuring out what I'm going to say next so that I win and make my point. Let that go, and in the conversation, seek to, to really understand. So, okay, so what you're saying is this. Now, no, that doesn't, you don't lose any currency doing that. It's not like, I think she's absolutely wrong, and so I'm not even going to do that. No, she just wants to be heard. So listen to her. So what, what, what you're saying, do I, do I hear you correctly? Is this what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's three-quarters of the battle right there. Because then you can go from there and you can deal and talk about the issue that, that is at hand. So often we get into an argument and, and it goes from this thing to this thing to this thing and it goes from zero to 60 and now we're arguing about something that's, how did this turn into a fight? I didn't even mean this as a fight. And so again, giving honor verbally, giving honor emotionally. You know, when it says giving honor to the wife, that word wife, it means literally the feminine one. That's what that word means in the Greek. Your wife needs you to, to be emotionally connected to her, understanding that, that she is the feminine one. Practically, this, I could go on and on about this, and I'm not going to. I'll just simply say, look, a lot of you guys, your houses are falling apart. You're, you're putting your, your wife in a car that's falling apart. She can't, she can't guarantee whether or not her tires are going to make it from A to B, whether she's going to run out of gas or not. And that needs, that you need to t- give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. You need to be watching out for her. You need to be asking yourself and diligently saying, does she have gas in her car? Are the tires good on the car? It, does she have the help that she needs with the kids? Is my life a disorganized mess? You know, is my house just look like, you know, somebody's going to pop out at any moment and, you know, <laughs> surprise, you know, kind of thing. It's just craziness in your house. Some of you, your houses are like that. And, it's, and it, you trace it back to a lack of leadership. Honor your wife parentally. I could go a whole message on that. Guess what? I will. Ephesians 6, it starts off talking about parenting. We're going to look at that next week. And so you need to honor your wife that way. Uh, you can do that. Here's how I close. Remember that God is watching. You have to dwell with them with understanding. You have to give honor to the wife as a weaker vessel. And you have to remember, men, that God is watching. Again, and Paul says this at the end of verse 7. Giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen, God's watching you. You're heirs together. That means that, hey, you've got God's daughter. That's who he gave to you. And, and she's God's daughter every bit as much as you're God's son. And, uh, and God is watching. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5 says this. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to, re- to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to make a vow and not pay. So 
listen, when you said I do, you made a vow. And, and the vow that you made was, God, I'm going to take care of your daughter. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to nourish her. I'm going to love her. Some of you, you, you you've gotten off track on that. And, and here's what I would like to do as we close today. Um, some of y'all, you, you need some counseling. And I would just simply say, call the office, make an appointment, let us meet with you, let us help you work through this. Some of y'all, you heard, and it's just a matter of, I need to course correct. And so here's what I would say for you men and for your wives, okay? Men, for you, if, if God has, has convicted you today, then I need you to do a couple things. One, I need you to repent. And that means that as we go to the communion table, that, that you're doing business with God and you're saying, Lord, forgive me. And own it. And then having done that, what then you need to do is you need to repent to your wife. And, I, and so, men, what I need you to do today, if you've been convicted after the service or during the communion or whenever it is that's appropriate, maybe in the car ride on the way home, you need to convey to your wife, the Lord convicted me. I'm sorry, and I'm going to try and make it right. You do that. Now, ladies, here's your part. Don't pile on, okay? Don't take all that and go, yeah, you're darn right, and another, and another, okay? Don't pile on. That's one. Number two, don't, don't give up. Don't be embittered when your husband takes that step to go, day late and a dollar short, Jack. That train is sailed. You know, or that ship is sailed. That train has left the station kind of deal, all right? <laughs> Keep my metaphors right. <laughs> Don't harden your heart. Give your, give your husband some room to repent. Give him the grace that you so desperately need sometimes in your life. Give him the grace. Work on it, okay? I'm looking forward to hear the praise reports of what happens, and I, and I would love to hear how the Lord has spoken to you. This is an issue that's, that's huge. 90, 90 plus percent of the counseling we do is marriage counseling. The stuff that I've shared with you, stuff we deal with every day. The Bible says no temptation has seized you except for that which is common to man. A lot of people struggling with what you struggle with. Satan would have you believe you're the only one. That's not true. The Bible goes on to say God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted except for he gives you a way of escape. I just gave you a way of escape today.